you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19, just a very quick summary uh, of the camp. Um, it's the first young adults camp that, we, that we've done. Um, but it was, I think, uh, a good thing is I had people say to me, can we do this again? So I think that's a good indication that people enjoyed it. Um, Pastor Crockett done a wonderful job. He spoke on doubt, okay, some of the doubts that we have um, as Christians and as young adults and worked through them, showed us how to deal with them biblically. And uh, that was that was really helpful. We had about a two-hour Q and A today. Uh, there was lots there was lots of questions, and they were very good questions um, as well. Um, so it was uh, it was a very very uh, good time. Um, so we, we praise the Lord for that. So Luke chapter 19 uh, will be our text tonight. The story of Zacchaeus. I'd like to open in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for this night you've given to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us and that we can be confident uh, in the accuracy uh, of your word because you've committed to preserve it. And uh, Lord, I do thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've granted to us. We do pray that uh, the Spirit would help us to understand uh, the portion of Scripture uh, this evening. Please help us to have teachable hearts. Please remove uh, all, all distractions. Uh, and all hindrances, may we be receptive to the message you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this scene that we have recorded before us, the story of Zacchaeus, is one of the final events before the penultimate week leading up to the cross. And its significance is not to be understated because it's a reminder or, or an illustration of the point and purpose of the incarnation okay that being jesus coming to earth okay this is an account that reveals what the forthcoming passion week is all about and that is the salvation of mankind in a spiritual sense okay jesus was not going to go to jerusalem and defeat and overthrow rome as was the common perception but rather he was going to jerusalem he was going to the cross to defeat satan sin and death and this account of the salvation of Zacchaeus is a reminder of what Jesus mission was okay why did Jesus come to earth okay why did Jesus leave heaven's glories why did he take upon himself human flesh and this is answered very succinctly for us in verse 10 if anyone ever asks you, okay, why did Jesus come to earth? Take them to this verse. It says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, this was the mission. This is why Jesus came into the world. Well, he did not come to merely be a, a good teacher or a spiritual leader. Okay, he didn't come to simply provide an example of a moral or noble life, although he did that. But rather he left heaven and he being God dwelt with humanity to save doomed sinners. That's the gospel. Jesus came to provide salvation. That's the point and purpose of the incarnation. And this is illustrated so gloriously in Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. This story is set in Jericho. And at this point in time, Jesus' eyes are set on Jerusalem. 
Okay, he was willingly heading to the cross. He is submitting himself to the will of the Father. And in the text, he and the disciples are on the final leg of the journey to Jerusalem. Jericho was a beautiful and picturesque city. And it was the last stopover before the final climb to Jerusalem. And at this particular time, the crowds were quite large because all the Jews would come to Jerusalem for Passover. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would converge upon Jerusalem at Passover. And as Jesus was making his way through Jericho, we're introduced to Zacchaeus. Verse 2 informs us that he was the chief amongst the publicans and that he was rich. Now, the term publican refers to tax collectors. This is the sixth and final reference to a tax collector in the Gospel of Luke. And what we must understand is that a tax collector was utterly despised. They were an outcast in Israel. They were forbidden to enter the synagogue. The only friends a tax collector would have was fellow tax collectors. They were on the lowest possible rung on the socioeconomic ladder. They were considered traitors, for they had sided with Rome. Now, one writer said this in explaining the role of the tax collector, and this is on your outline sheet. It's a lengthy quote. He says, The Roman occupation of Israel involved more than just a military presence. The nation was also subject to Roman taxation. The taxes in Galilee, for example, were forwarded by tax collectors to Herod Antipas and by him to Rome. Antipas sold tax franchises to the highest bidder and one such franchise, sorry, and such franchises, got my tongue tied, now we're a lucrative business. Tax collectors had a certain amount that they were required to collect and whatever they collected beyond that, they were permitted to keep. In addition to the poll tax, income tax and land tax, there were taxes on transport of goods, letters, produce, using roads, crossing bridges and almost anything else the ravenous, greedy minds of the tax collectors could think of. All of that left plenty of room for larceny, extortion, exploitation and even loan sharking as tax collectors loan money at exorbitant interest to those who were unable to pay their taxes. Tax collectors also employed thugs to physically intimidate people into paying and to beat up those who refused. Okay, there's a job description. And that is why tax collectors were utterly despised. Okay, they were regarded as the scum of the earth. Why? They got into bed with the enemy. They sided with Rome and now they were brutally squeezing their own people. You know, like the orange being squeezed for juice... Every possible sense was being squeezed out of their own people, whether through extortion or blackmail, force, simply to fill the coffers of Rome and to line their own pockets. But Zacchaeus, he would have been hated even more. Because notice in verse 2, he was not just an ordinary tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. This is the only time this position is mentioned in the New Testament. And it means that he ruled over a group of tax collectors. You know, he was the boss and had subcontractors underneath him, if you like. So he was the head of the region, which meant he would also collect a portion from those who worked under him. So this man was hated in a deep and comprehensive way. And there's an important phrase at the end of verse 2, which says, and he was rich. So this reveals much about his character. 
a tax collector who was rich was a dishonest extortioner. And hence, Zacchaeus was one who was a notorious scoundrel for robbing his own people. Okay, robbing them in broad daylight under the disguise of taxation or for his personal benefits. And it was this man who had obviously heard about Jesus and he was curious. Probably heard about some miracles and he wanted to catch a glimpse. He knew that Jesus was in town. Perhaps he'd heard about the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Perhaps he'd heard about the raising of Lazarus. I tend to think news like that would travel quickly. And hence he wanted to see this one who was performing these amazing miracles. Now the problem was this man couldn't get close to Jesus. Okay, that the crowds were large and he was short. You know, can you picture this small man? He's trying to push his way through the crowds all to no avail. He's trying to jump up to get a glimpse of Jesus all to no avail. You know, perhaps he was, he was quite frustrated and he was aggravated when his attempts failed. You can almost hear him saying, you know, why do I have to be so short? You know, my, my dad's a little bit shorter than me. And he often complains, why am I so short? Why can't I be tall like you? So I, I kind of picture my, my dad in this situation, except my dad's not an extortioner. We'll put that out there. But, you know, we need to give this man 10 out of 10 for effort. Because he didn't just give up in his attempt to see Jesus. You know, try, try to push his way through, no avail. Okay, I can't see him. And he didn't just go home. But rather he had another idea and he thought, well, if I can climb up a tree just down the road in the same direction Jesus is heading, maybe I can get a glimpse of him. Okay, that's his plan. And, and the execution of this plan is almost comical. Okay, try and picture this. We have a grown man, a man of power, wealth and prestige. Okay, and he's, he's not in jogging clothes, okay, he's, full, he's full garb. And he's running down the street. And we must understand that in this time, it was incredibly unusual for a grown man to run, okay, particularly an official. Okay, the, the, the health and fitness movement of today hadn't caught on yet. And even more so, a man of position, okay, a tax collector, a, a rich man, okay, it was looked down upon if you were running. Okay, but not only did he run, he then climbed the tree. And once again, that would have been an incredibly unusual sight. Because even today, okay, you're driving along, let's say, Milpera Road, and you see a grown man climbing a tree for no reason. You're saying, what in the world are you doing? You're, you're going crazy. And no doubt, that's what people thought of Zacchaeus. Okay, he must have been the victim of scorn and ridicule of performing such a stunt. You, you can picture the people laughing and, and pointing and scoffing and mocking. Look at the tax collector. He's going crazy. What was he doing? He's out of his mind. But as one preacher said, he said, I wish there were more of us who did not mind being laughed at if only what we did helped us to see Jesus. It's a good insight, isn't it? Okay, think about that. Are you willing to be mocked if it means being closer to Jesus? Are you happy to pay the price for obeying his word? Are you willing to, to sacrifice and even be misunderstood by others to pursue Jesus? This is something very noble and worthy of emulation in what Zacchaeus did in order to see Jesus. 
Now, the type of tree that Zacchaeus climbed, we're told, was a sycamore tree. It seems this is probably a mulberry tree. And these trees in Bible times, they were known for their shade. But they also had low branches. Okay, that's what they were known for. Remember, Zacchaeus was short. So this type of tree would be easy for him to climb. Now, it seems that Zacchaeus found a good spot and he was looking on and he could see Jesus moving closer. Now, I tend to think he probably nearly fell out of the tree when Jesus stopped. You can picture the thoughts bouncing through his mind. Okay, why why is, why is he stopped? But hey, my plan's working perfectly. I can see him. But then Jesus says his name. Okay, you'd be like, what in the world is happening? How does he know my name? Now, some speculate that Zacchaeus and Matthew may have been acquainted. Perhaps they had worked together previously. That may be possible, but in light of Christ's omniscience, that's not a requirement. But if Jesus calling out his name wasn't enough to make him fall out of the tree, the next statement certainly would have. Jesus says this, come down, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I'm going to your house for dinner. I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. Okay, I'm dining at your place. Please, please come down. We need to go to your home. We're going to have a meal together. Now, it's, it's hard for us to understand how radical that is. But I can picture Zacchaeus yelling back, you know, are you serious? Is this some kind of joke? Okay, if this isn't true, please, please just keep walking. We must understand that no Jew would ever associate with a tax collector at all. They wouldn't even talk to them, let alone have a meal in their home. So we can understand if Zacchaeus was somewhat skeptical. Because the attitude of the crowds toward him is seen in their response of Jesus' request. Notice in verse 7, it says they murmured against Jesus. And this is a very strong Word. They voiced their disapproval. Okay, that, that they were shaking their heads, you know, point, pointing their finger. They couldn't believe what Jesus was suggesting, that, that he desired to share a meal with this notorious traitor that they all despised. Which, as an aside, it, it's interesting. This is the only occasion where Jesus invites himself into someone's home okay, that we have recorded. And the audience couldn't believe their ears, that they couldn't believe their eyes, that Jesus was making such a request. No Jew would pollute themselves in doing this. And yet Jesus cares little about what the crowds were thinking. He extends his hand to this one who was universally despised and implores him, come down, come down quickly because I'm going to your home. Okay, here we have Zacchaeus, the one who thought he was seeking Jesus, but really Jesus was seeking him. And unfortunately, we're not told okay, what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. We can only speculate. We can only use our imagination about what the conversation must have been like in the home. But what is interesting, the phrase in verse 7, gone to be a guest, it means to loosen one's clothing in preparation for staying overnight. So it seems that Jesus stayed the night. 
Not only did he have a meal, but he stayed the night. That, that would have really stirred up the crowds. Why would he spend such time with an infidel? Unfortunately, we don't know what was said in the home, but what we do know for sure is that this encounter with Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life. That this universally despised tax collector, this notorious sinner, was saved. Verse 9 makes this more than clear. It says, salvation came to his house. He was now a son of Abraham. Okay, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And that salvation had occurred is also evident in verse 8. Because there was this great change that had occurred in the life of this man. Okay, he pledged that he was going to give back all that he had extorted to the poor. Okay, so there is this great transformation in his life. That's evidence for a genuine conversion. Okay, this is an unmistakable proof that Zacchaeus was a new creature. His actions proved the change within. His faith was shown by his works, just like James chapter 2 teaches us. Okay, true conversion will always result in a change of life. Maybe not always instantaneously so obvious and dramatic like Zacchaeus, particularly if you're younger. Okay, I think if you're saved in the church and you've grew up in the church, you probably had this doubt. You know, I was, I was saved at like five years old and I hear these people's testimonies that when I was saved, there used to be this drunkard, gambler, violent person. There was this dramatic change. You're not like that when you're five, are you? I've never met a five-year-old like that. Okay, so this change is often measured over time. Okay, if you are younger, that's a good way to think through it. But we need to understand that faith that doesn't change us hasn't saved us. That's the message of James chapter 2. Okay, and hence it's clear that this despised man, this notorious sinner, had been saved. And this is the final recorded conversion before the cross. And it's a vital scene for it reveals to all present the point and purpose of what was about to unfold. Okay, why was Jesus going to the cross? Well, what happened with Zacchaeus illustrates it. Okay, he was going to the cross to provide salvation for sinners. Okay, this illustrates what the cross is all about. This is why Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. He was going to be the Passover lamb. To provide mankind with salvation. And this is a wonderful story. For it is an account of the conversion of a soul. And every conversion is a special story. It's worth celebrating. It's worth rejoicing over. But this particular conversion of Zacchaeus. Has much to teach us about salvation. The gospel. And evangelism. And much could be said. But I want to leave you with three thoughts the first one is this the gospel is powerful enough to save anybody okay the gospel is powerful enough to save anybody now in jewish thinking the tax collector was the worst of the worst he was a rogue he was a scoundrel a debauched and desolate individual one who was re regarded as an atrocious and repulsive person he, he was cut off he was segregated from the synagogue, from society. In fact, they were regarded as worse than slaves because at least slaves were loyal to the nation. 
This is how they were regarded, the lowest of the low. And yet it was this one. It was the tax collector who was saved. But it was not only society's opinion of this man that highlights the the, the wonderful nature of his conversion. But it's also what Jesus has just taught. Okay, notice in verse 2, Zacchaeus is a rich man. And Jesus has just taught in the previous chapter that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus had just taught this. It's incredibly difficult for a rich man to come to Christ. But, but after that statement, Jesus said, but the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. And the impossible had occurred because Zacchaeus, he was wealthy, he was powerful, and yet he had been saved. Thus proving that nothing is impossible with God. And what this reminds us is that there are none who are too bad or too wicked or too sinful to be saved. There are none who are too beyond the power of of Christ's grace. Wherever there is life, there is hope. You know that there are such things as incurable physical conditions, but there are no incurable spiritual conditions with the gospel. There's no heart that is too hard for the explosive power of the gospel to break. It's not like, yeah, that the gospel's powerful, but there is this category of people that it's not powerful enough to impact. It's not like that at all. Okay, that there is no sin too bad for Jesus to pay the price for. My friend, all can be saved. And that is good news. Okay, in Jesus dying on the cross, he has rendered all men savable. It, it is possible for all to be made right with God. Everybody can experience peace with God, can experience forgiveness, can be made right with God and spend eternity with God. Now, not all will be saved because one needs to appropriate salvation. That's the distinction. But all can be saved. None are beyond the grace of God. Even the worst of the worst, the most notorious criminal. If we went to Long Bay Jail, found the worst criminal, that person can be saved. The most hard-hearted, self-sufficient, self-righteous individual can be saved because the gospel is powerful. Can we see that in the story of Zacchaeus? And we can take heart that any sinner can be healed, can be saved if they come to Christ. None are too wicked. None are too old. None are too hard to be reached with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get discouraged when my unsaved, with my unsaved family and friends. You know, I've shared the gospel over and over, and I can get very disheartened about their lost condition. And I'm sure you feel that as well, whether it's your family members, your friends, your work colleagues. And you know, that, that reaction is normal. You know, if, if that hurts us, that they're not saved, that's, that's a good thing. But we can take heart that wherever there's hope, okay, wherever there's life, sorry, wherever there's life, there's hope. So your son, your daughter, your grandchildren, your parents, your siblings, your niece, your nephew, your friends, your work colleagues, your neighbors, whoever it may be, none are beyond 
the saving reach of the gospel. Okay, all can be saved. So, so don't give up. Continue to pray. Continue to share the gospel. Continue to live a consistent life. And ask God to help you to believe in the power of the gospel. Because think of Zacchaeus. Think of the thief on the cross. Think of the apostle Paul. Think of yourself. Any man, woman or child can come to Christ and experience salvation. Jesus is in the business of saving sinners. And my friend, if there's one here tonight who, who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You know, there's never been a time in your life where you have turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus. Okay, believing that, that he is God. And that he died on the cross for your sin. That, that he rose again on the third day. If you by faith have never accepted the gift of salvation. Please understand you're not beyond God's saving power. Now perhaps you're thinking well you're Pastor Brennan. You don't know how bad I am. You know I've done some horrible horrible things. Well guess what Jesus died for horrible people. You can be made clean. You can be forgiven. You can experience peace with God. Jesus' death and resurrection is enough to save you. It's sufficient. But you must believe. You must come to him. That's the only way to be saved. It's the only way. There's one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. Coming to church doesn't save you. Giving money to the church doesn't save you. Doing good deeds, that doesn't save you. Okay, all of our good deeds in God's sight are filthy rags. Okay, we can't save ourselves. But Jesus Christ will save you if you come to him. If you turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in him. The question for you is, what will you do with Jesus? Okay, that's the most important question. What will you do with Jesus? The second lesson is this. The gospel needs to be shared with everybody. And in light of the previous points on the power of the gospel, we need to remember that the gospel needs to be shared with all people from all walks of life. Okay, that this belief that the gospel is powerful, okay, it needs to fuel our evangelism. Now, we need to understand the gospel is to be shared with everybody. Okay, it's for all mankind. It's not just for white people. It's not just for middle class people. It's not a message confined just to our church or to our inner sanctum of friends. Okay, the gospel is for all and we need to share it with all. And understand, you and I as Christians, we have been entrusted with a mission. And that is to evangelize this world. That's why Jesus has left us here. And we need to follow the example of Jesus and share the gospel with all. Be willing to reach out even to notoriously wicked people. Even reach out to those people who are despised by society because that is what Jesus did. That, that's our example. Okay, we as Christians, we need to be willing to speak to unsaved people. Get, get involved in their lives. Form relationships. Okay, not just be isolated in our Christian cliques, but reach out. Speak a word for Christ. Pass on a gospel tract. Share the gospel even with the worst of sinners. Talk to the criminal about Christ. Speak to the drug addict about the gospel. 
You know, may we become more and more like Jesus and have a compassion for sinners and be willing to reach out and share the gospel with them. Okay, notice with the example of Jesus, he saw Zacchaeus. Okay, he saw this guy in the tree. Would have been very easy to ignore him. Just keep going. What was Jesus doing? He's on his way to Jerusalem to do the most important thing in history. And yet he stopped and took this opportunity to witness to this guy. Okay, we can learn from that. Take the opportunities that come your way. Have open eyes. Have soft hearts to the gospel prospects in your day-to-day -day life. Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity and for the courage to take them. You know, I know that I need to become a, a lot more like Jesus in this area. Okay, this is something that I don't do as often as I would like to. Okay, I need God's help to get better at this, and perhaps I'm not alone. You know, may we as a church, May we as individuals be diligent and faithful to the mission that we have been called to and share the gospel with every living creature. May God convince us of the necessity and may he enable us to perform it. And we can do it confidently because the gospel is the power of God. And lesson number three is Jesus is the friend of sinners. Now, this account of Zacchaeus illustrates wonderfully that Jesus is the friend of sinners. And I want you to think about that. Jesus is a friend with sinners. That's astonishing. That's, that's amazing. It certainly left these crowds flabbergasted that Jesus would share a meal with, with a tax collector but get this, how amazing that Jesus would enter into a relationship with you and me. That, that he would be a friend to sinners like us. That, my friend, is incredible. But understand, that's what it means to be a Christian. We're in Christ. And he's in us. We, we can have an intimate relationship with him. And understand, this is something that makes Jesus different to any other God throughout history. Whether you go right back to the beginning, to like Egyptian culture, right up to now, look at all of their supposed gods. This is one way that Jesus is different. He is relational. And as Christians, this is our most glorious privilege to walk with Jesus, to know him personally, to be in a relationship with him, to delight in him. That This is all ours. Like Jesus fellowship with Zacchaeus, we can enjoy this every day. And that's astonishing grace. That not only did God save us, not only has he forgiven us, not only has he cleansed us, but he also enters into a relationship with us. And this is what our life should be about. Growing and developing our relationship with Jesus Christ. Getting to know him more intimately. Growing in our knowledge of him increasing in our love for him because that is what the christian life is all about and how astonishing that jesus would be a friend to sinners like us and that he is with us to the end amen let's pray father i thank you uh, for this portion of scripture thank you for what it teaches us uh, about our our Lord, and again, it just strikes me that, that there is nobody uh, like Jesus. 
And uh, may, may we be uh, struck uh, by him. Lord, please help us to remember that the power of the gospel and to be diligent in sharing it. And Lord, if there be someone here tonight that has never uh, embraced Christ as Savior, I, I do pray uh, that they would seek someone out and, and talk about this and, and embrace Jesus as Savior this day because he is indeed a great Savior. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Um, I'd like to invite Mark to lead us in the singing of our final hymn, which is Our Great Savior. Our Great Savior. And for this hymn, we'll stand and sing up the introduction, and we'll sing all five verses.